0: Starting a new book. Started on the Gospel of Mark. Mark of all four Gospels, I feel like Mark gets the least amount of press. We we tend to just overlook Mark. I know Matthew. And it talks about Jesus and all of the Old Testament scriptures and John. Everybody loves the Gospel of John and Luke. Uh, being a great theologian and just everything's in order. But Mark is truly the first gospel. When you read Mark, he's kind of rough on the edges, the way he writes. And most people, after Mark writes his gospel, they begin to go back and dissect Mark and they, they write things a little Better and they understand, you can understand things better, but we have to understand that Mark, God has a gospel here first for a reason. He writes to the Romans, and when he wrote this uh, gospel to the Romans, their society reminds us of the society we live in now up paced, busy society busy uh, with social media and all those things. Mark only has two Old Testament scriptures in his gospel because he's writing to the Romans. And the Romans, like I said, just like us, are fast-paced. They didn't have time. Mark's gospel could also be, and I say this because of snapshots and you don't have time to read much of the Old Testament, so he gives you this. It reminds me of TikTok, but Mark's gospel is the real deal. TikTok, you find all these, hey, you got to be careful what you read on there. (laughs) I wouldn't advise you to go there much, but that's just my opinion. But it's fast-paced. It's action. I like action movies, and that's why I love uh, Mark's gospel so much. John is his Hebrew name. Mark is his Roman name. And we know from the book of Acts chapter 12 that he was the son of a wealthy woman in whose house the early church met. It says in Acts 12, 11 through 12, and when Peter had come to himself, he said, this is when Peter is in prison, they're wanting to behead him, and an angel comes and has to wake him up. He wouldn't have had to wake me up. I'd have been already awakened, saying, Lord, please come and save me. Now I know for certain that the Lord has sent his angel and has delivered me from the hand of Herod and from all the expectations of the Jewish people. So when he had considered this, he came to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose surname was Mark, where many were gathered together praying. First Peter chapter five references him. Peter calls him his son in the faith. Peter, it seems, was really influential in John Mark's life. Really, this gospel could be Peter's gospel, because I know he trained up John Mark in the way to go. John Mark presents his gospel as a servant. Chapters 1 through 10 portrays a servant living his life in service, speaking of Jesus Christ. And then 11 through 16 portrays him giving his life in sacrifice, Jesus Christ. Acts 13, 5, Mark himself was called a servant. And this is what it says, Acts 13, 5. And when they were at Salamis, they preached the word of God in the synagogues of the Jews, and they had also John to their minister. That word minister is Greek word huperates. Literally, it means an under roar. And I always give the example of the movie Ben-Hur When those guys are at the bottom of the ship, all sweaty, gringy, uh, just rowing. That's what they did 24-7. And if they stopped rowing, well, a a whip would quickly hit them on their backs. They didn't get any accolades for it. They didn't get data boys for it. They served because they had to serve. They didn't get any fanfare for it. And so that word servant, we get the word minister also. And a servant usually works behind the scene who toils steadily and they're faithful. Even though they might never be recognized, they don't care about that because they're serving an audience of one, God himself. And whether anybody says, well done here, if we have our eyes on the one who gave his life for us, nothing else matters. You'll hear that when we get to heaven. It says in Acts thirteen thirteen. Now when Paul and his company loosed from Paphos, they came to Perga in Pamphylia, and John, departing from them, returned to Jerusalem. As Mark went with Paul and Barnabas, They had some kind of dust up. The scripture doesn't tell us what happened, the argument. Uh, Matter of fact, Acts uses the word, they almost came to blows, Paul and Barnabas. Can you imagine that? They almost came to blows over John Mark because John Mark, all of a sudden in Pamphylia, it it got hot and heavy. I don't know if it was a a virus, the fever or whatever, but John Mark, he goes home. And it says in Acts 15, and some days after Paul said unto Barnabas, this was their first missionary trip, let us go again and visit our brethren in every city where we have preached the word of the Lord and see how they do. And Barnabas determined to take with them John, whose surname was Mark. But Paul thought, thought, not, thought not good to take him with them who departed from them from Pamphylia. Paul You might say holds a grudge and went not with them to the work. And the contention was so sharp between them that they departed asunder one from another. And so Barnabas took Mark and sailed into Cyprus and Paul chose Silas and departed being recommended by the brethren unto grace. People always ask who was right. I don't know. Paul would ne- will never did not ever let any person stop him from doing the work of the Lord, and I commend him for that. Barnabas, the son of consolation's encouragement, he always wanted to encourage his believers. Both of them was right because both of their ministry, God was using them and worked through them mightily. It says this in 2 Timothy chapter 4. After all of that has come to fruition, Paul is in prison, and he says, only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you, for he is useful to me for ministry. We need to allow people, and I commend Pastor Jonathan for this. We need to allow people to grow in their ministry, to allow them to make mistakes, to be there to say, hey... I don't think you should do it this way. You should do it that way, probably, and pray about those things. But never give up on people. And that's what uh, Barnabas did. Verse 1 says it's the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Jesus, and only Jesus, is the good news. The Son of God, as it is, writ- as it is written in the prophets, behold, consider this, I send my messenger, John the Baptist he's speaking of, before your face. You will prepare your way before you. Who will prepare your way before you? That's Malachi 3.1. The voice of one crying in the wilderness, speaking of John the Baptist, prepare the way of the Lord. That word Lord is curious, but it means Yahweh. Make his path straight. It's It's strange to me they said, Prepare the way of Yahweh using that name for Jesus Christ. He is coming. He's about to start his ministry. The gospel is neither a discussion nor a debate. The good news, Mark quotes only two prophecies, like I said, in his entire gospel. Malachi 3.1, Isaiah 43 through 4. Verse 4, it says, John came baptizing in the wilderness and preaching a baptism of repentance for the remissions of sins. This baptism was not a baptism of salvation the Jews were getting, but it was a baptism of preparation. There's no baptism, let me be clear, that will save you or anyone. Baptism does not save. The the way the Jews use baptism... It was usually they were, they were going to be proselytes. They would become Jews in a way. Because what they, the Jews thought, they were already okay with God. They were God's people. So they don't, didn't need to be baptized. Well, they didn't need to be baptized in water, that civilization, but they needed the baptism of the Holy Spirit to, to come to know Jesus Christ that will get you into heaven. Verse 5 says this. Then all the land of Judea and those from Jerusalem went out to him, speaking of John, and were all baptized by him in the Jordan River, confessing their sins. Baptism, like I said, just said it was a Jewish ceremonial washing. And once again, the Jews didn't think they needed to be baptized. Usually it was many of Gentiles. They were getting baptized. And they were getting baptized really uh, to be proselytes, to be a part of Judaism. And so the Jews were saying, hey, we're already, we're we're okay with God. We don't need to be baptized. But they find out very soon they did. Verse six says Now John was clothed with camel's hair and with a leather belt around his waist, and he ate locusts and wild honey. I've heard many people say this locust was the trees and it, they had a, a substance that would come out of the trees and that's what he was eating. But no, he was eating locusts. I, I've never had locusts, never had escargot either. And, and I definitely don't want escargot. <laughs> I would eat locusts before I would eat snails. But that's what John the Baptist was eating. Luke one seventeen says this. Speaking of John the Baptist, he will go before him, Jesus Christ, in the spirit and power of Elijah to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready a people prepared for the Lord. That's the forerunner. That's John the Baptist. That was his commission. He knew. He didn't get the big head all of a sudden and says, hey, I'm pretty good. I don't need... Jesus, come out to see me. John always knew what the, the reason he was here, to spread the good news of Jesus Christ that was coming. 2 Kings 1.8 says this. So they answered him, a hairy man wearing a leather belt around his waist, and he said, it is Elijah the Tishbite. So that's why he comes in the, the power and authority of Elijah. Verse 7 And he preached, saying, speaking of John the Baptist, there comes one after me. John always knew his place, a servant of the Lord. It would help the church so much for church people to know their place. Jesus is the head. We are the servants. It's only two two different ways you can go. You shouldn't get those confused. Jesus is the head that makes us the servant." And he preached saying, there comes one after me who is mightier than I, whose sandal straps I am not worthy to stoop down and loose. I indeed baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. It came to pass in those days that Jesus came from Nazareth of Galilee and was baptized by John in the Jordan. As John called people, once again, to repent, suddenly... Can you imagine he's baptizing people and Jesus shows up, requesting to be baptized by him? We know he was sinless, speaking of Jesus Christ. Why would he ask to be baptized by John? He had no sins. I think it's for two reasons. Matthew chapter 3 says this, then Jesus came from Galilee to John at the Jordan to be baptized by him. And John tried to prevent him, saying, good job, John. I need to be baptized by you. Are you coming to me? But Jesus answered and said to him, permit it to be so now, for thus it is fitting for us to fulfill our righteousness. Jesus not only came to die for our sins, but he had to live a holy life while he was down here. And that was part of fulfilling all righteousness, to be baptized. That's why it's so important. Even though baptism by water does not save a person, we're commanded to be baptized, do what's right. And then it says, then he allowed him. Baptism, we know, is a sign of death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And Jesus is identifying with us. He's dipped in the same water. Not ashamed of us, as Hebrews says. Also, it shows his submission to the Father. For through baptism, Jesus is saying, I have come to die. Every other so-called guru, teacher, philosopher came to live. And yet, swindling people in the process. Jesus, and they finally died, but Jesus came to die, and because of his death and his resurrection, scripture is fulfilled. Verse 10 says, and immediately coming up from the water, he saw the heavens parting and the spirit descending upon him like a dove. Then a voice came from heaven. There's the Godhead. There's the Trinity right there, by the way. You are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. We're told in John's gospel that John the Baptist said, uh, I did not know him, but he who sent me to baptize with water said to me, I don't know if, probably the father, upon whom you see the spirit descending and remaining on him. This is he who baptizes with the Holy Spirit. So what is John saying here? That as Jesus because there, there could be 1,000 to 5,000 people out there being baptized in the Jordan. I don't think John was the only one baptizing. He had his disciples. They were baptizing also. With this multitude out there, there was nothing to mark Jesus. Of all the people out there, they didn't look around and say, this is Jesus. This is Jesus. Nothing special about him to catch your eye, to give him a second look. You know, I've heard sportcasters, and they have met all kinds of people, and I listen to them when they talk about Magic Johnson. They say, oh, he's a nice guy to be around, and he, he's laughable. I've heard them talk about Larry Bird, how great of a, nice of a person he is. And, and, but it's one man basketball player that I've heard him speak of. And just about every sportscaster that I've ever heard, they all say the same thing about Michael Jordan. They says, when you get around Michael Jordan, you know you're in the presence of a holy talent. The way he walks, the way he carries himself, you just knew something was special about Michael Jordan. Didn't say that about anybody else. He was approachable. Jesus was approachable. It says in Isaiah 53, he has no form or comeliness. And when we see him, speaking of Jesus Christ, there is no beauty that we should desire him. God knew how to make this man. He is despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. And we hid, as it were, our faces from him. He was despised, and we did not esteem him. Jesus came as Emmanuel, God with us. He came, and I feel like God made him up like this, his looks and all. Remember, Jesus Christ is a picture of the tabernacle, and it was nothing beautiful about the tabernacle. All the beauty of the tabernacle was from the inside. Same thing with Jesus Christ. But he made him in such a way that he wouldn't be intimidating if you saw him, that we would walk up to him and talk to him as if it was nothing. That's why they said no one had ever talked like this before. And they said the common people heard him gladly. There was no barriers with Jesus Christ. He, he, his his uh, persona welcomed you. He was just an average guy on the outside. Verse 12 says, immediately, the spirit drove him into the wilderness after his baptism. And he was there in the wilderness for 40 days, tempted by Satan, and was with the wild beasts. The angels ministered to him. John, after he baptizes Jesus, I believe he went back to Isaiah's scroll, because he saw the Spirit descending upon him like a dove. He has said before he baptized Jesus, in Matthew chapter 3, he says, and even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. His winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn, but he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire." This is after Jesus has come back from the 40 days of temptation. John the Baptist, he will point his finger at him, and all of a sudden, he will say, Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When he sees the Spirit descending on Jesus like a dove, it says the latter part of verse 11, Then a voice came from heaven saying, you are my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Really, literally says, I am already well pleased. Just had begun his ministry, has spent 30 years with his mom and dad. Hey, try spending 30 years with your mom and dad. They'll be trying to kick you out of the house really quick. And the society would say, what's wrong with you? Jesus spent 30 years with his mom and dad getting splinters in his hand at the carpenter shop, ministering right there. And that's why God the Father says, this is my beloved son. Before he had did one miracle, before he cast out one demon, before he had ever preached one sermon, Yahweh says, this is my beloved son in whom I am already well pleased. It's okay to live in obscurity. You don't have to be up front and center to please God. It's best to please God when nobody else is around and you still know he's looking and you want to please him. We've got it wrong. We want to see how many hits and things we got on Instagram or TikTok and all those things. Jesus didn't go that way. Jesus, the father was always watching, and he knew that, and his heart was to please his father. So before he cast out one demon, before he healed one leper, God the father says, I'm already well pleased with you. That's amazing to me. 30 years. Verse 12 says, immediately after he's baptized, The Spirit drove him into the wilderness. This took place. When this took place, we have to understand, nobody was around. He hadn't called his disciples. The only one that was there was God the Son and Satan. So this tells me Jesus Christ had to tell what went down When his boys was around one day, when they were probably bragging on Satan. Oh, Satan's so tough. He makes me trip up all the time. I can't help for messing up. I can't help for watching pornography because Satan just makes me do it. Uh, I can't help for gossiping so much. It's just Satan. And Jesus probably fed up with it. He says, let me tell you what I did. When the Spirit drove me into the wilderness. And, and, and the, the writing of the text says it just wasn't three temptations. Those are three we know about. When he was there, he was being tempted. The whole uh, 30 days he was being tempted. These are just the ones he talks about. And he says, Let me tell you about this dragon that you're giving him so much press and how I defeated him one-on-one in the wilderness. And I guarantee you, I believe I remember teaching this to the middle schoolers, and I presented it as a playoff game, that Adam had lost the first playoff game, and all of this time, God the Father, knowing that Jesus the Son was chomping at the bitch to make this right, As soon as his ministry started, he pushes them out in the wilderness. I've got a case. I've got got a battle I have to win. And Satan, being full of confidence, probably shook his hand. He says, I've already, I've did this before. I beat your champ, Adam, and it didn't take me long to beat him and Eve. And so, and I beat them on their home field. I beat them in the Garden of Eden where everything was conducive for him. You've come out here in a wilderness. You haven't eaten for 40 days, haven't drank for 40 days, and you think you're going to beat me. But Jesus knew something. Satan always comes three ways because they work. Lust of the flesh, lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. He said, command these stones to be made bread, lust of the flesh, all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. All the power I will give to you if you bow down and worship me. Lust of the eyes. For, and then he goes on to say, for they have been delivered to me. They have been betrayed to me by Adam. That's what he means by that. And then he says, Jesus says, depart from me. Satan. And he defeated Satan. And he's telling his boys, you don't have to be God to defeat Satan. All you have to be is a man, a human being, full of the Holy Spirit and in your word. And you can defeat Satan. Because we know Jesus didn't use any of his powers. That would be cheating. He fell. Adam and Eve fell as, as humanity, so Jesus comes back and to win as a human. So he says, you don't have to be God. All you have to be is a man or a woman full of the Holy Spirit and using your word to combat the enemy. And he won. Genesis, and he used, matter of fact, Satan used the same tactics in the Garden of Eden, when he says, And when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that's lust of the flesh, and that it was pleasant to the eyes, lust of the eyes, and a tree to desire to make one wise, the pride of life. That's how he fell. First John says this, chapter 2. Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. Don't get mad at me. I didn't say it. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father, but is of the world. And the world is passing away. Why would you put your stock in something that's passing away and the lust of it? But he who does the will of God abides forever. If we are filled with the love of this present world, the love of the Father is not in us. Are you living? That's my question. Are you living for this life? We, if you go back to your scriptures, Satan only verbally speaks three times. Genesis 3, he says, has God said, slandering God to man? He's holding back on you, Eve. And then Job 1, 10 through 11, when he says, Have you not made a hedge around him speaking to God, around his household, and around all that he has on every side? You have blessed the works of his hands, and his possessions have increased in the land. But now stretch out your hand and touch all that he has, and he will surely curse you to your face. Job only serves you, God, because you give him good things. If you stop giving him good things... I bet he'll curse you to your face. Hmm. But this time he does not know how to handle God because he's messing with the God man and he has to put his tail between his legs and take off running. Verse 13 says, And he was there in the wilderness 40 days tempted by Satan and was with the wild beasts and the angels ministered to him. This is about a, a year into his public ministry he, when he comes back. And it says in, in verse 14, now after John was put in prison, and uh, Mark just gives you the tidbits, He just tells you quick he was put in prison. He was in the prison of Macarius. They said when uh, Paul was in Macarius, It was up to his waist in feces, human feces. And he was there for nine months. And they say he led 40-something people to the Lord. For nine months, he was in there. Now, after John was put in prison, Jesus came to Galilee. It says in Isaiah chapter 9, verses 1 through 2, nevertheless, here's this prophecy about the great king, the gloom will not be upon her who is distressed, and when at first he lightly esteemed the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali, and afterward more heavily oppressed her by the way of the sea beyond the Jordan in Galilee of the Gentiles, that's what they called it, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of the shadow of death, upon them a light has shined. Speaking of Jesus Christ, he's coming. Jesus came to Galilee preaching the gospel of the kingdom of God and saying the time is fulfilled. Here it is, it's present, and the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. John had called sinners to repentance, metanoia, means to change your mind. But it's not only a change of mind. It does no good if you just change your mind. You have to change your mind and then your direction. You know the right way to go, and then you're walking in it. Jesus calls sinners to repent and believe the good news, which is to believe in Jesus. And as he walked by the Sea of Galilee, he saw Simon and Andrew, his brother, casting a net into the sea, for they were fishermen. Mark gives only, well, like I said, the the quick snippets of this account. John Gospel tells us that John and Andrew had spent the night with Jesus. They were walking behind Jesus, and Jesus says to them in John's gospel, Who, who are you looking for? And, and then he says, Come and see. So they had ran into him before, probably had words with him before, but they hadn't become disciples. It doesn't matter how much you read your Bible or you come to church. You need a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Until you get that, you're still a sinner. It's not like if you get close enough, you get into the family. Nicodemus said you must be born again. That's what it takes to get into the family of God, repenting of your sins and then giving your life to Jesus Christ. Verse 18, they immediately left their nets and followed him. This is is what you do. When he had gone a little farther from there, he saw James, the son of Zebedee, and John, his brother, who also were in the boat, mending their nets. And immediately he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with their hired servants and went after him. They kind of think that Zebedee was a pretty well-off guy. He had employees. He had a fishing business. And for these two guys to just get up and say, hey, I'm leaving. I'm following Jesus, that spoke volumes. Luke 14, 26 says this, Jesus speaking, if anyone comes to me and does not hate his father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, his own life also, also, He cannot be my disciple. That's how much we should be in love with Jesus Christ compared to family, friends, family, friends, family, friends, because Jesus Christ said it. Jesus said it. He doesn't mix any words. We tend to take what we want to take and and like what we want to like and throw away like we're eating fish, throw away the bones. But that'll get you into trouble. Jesus says what he means and means what he says. That's the kind of love we should have for the Messiah. It speaks of the radicalness of what these guys did when Jesus called them. They would have never went to Jesus any other way unless he called them. Whether you're involved in a ministry or not, our ministry should be a close fellowship with Jesus, walking and learning his ways and letting that light shine to a, to a twisted world. Verse 21, Then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath... He entered the synagogue and taught. And giving us a little experience about the day-to-day going-ons in a synagogue in Capernaum, village of Nahum, northern end of the Sea of Galilee. uh, It was a place of commerce. Uh, John the Baptist, he was in the wilderness in that area. And once Jesus is empowered by the Spirit... He steps, I like Jesus, he steps right into the hustle and bustle of everyday life. John stayed in the wilderness. He would meet people occasionally. Jesus says, no, I want to be where people are working their nine to five. I want to be where they're struggling, where they're having heartache and pain, where they're sick and all these things. I need to be right there. And he takes these men with him to a synagogue in Capernaum. The synagogue started in Babylon when the temple was torn down. That's where the synagogue started. And they said that you had to have a synagogue at least five miles close to the temple. So they would come up pretty quickly because they were all generated in an area. There were no pastor or priest at the synagogue. You had a ruler there, and the ruler, he was the guy, he was the janitor, he was the one who cleaned up the custodian, kept the place swept, and all of that. And they called him the ruler of the synagogue. I like that. But the Kassan, he was the guy who would take the scroll out, unroll it, lie it on the table. And it was a day to day activity. You might say churches like that. Oh, Sunday, we go through the same thing. Oh, Wednesday, we go through the same thing. Well, that's what they thought in the synagogue. They only got excited if a a rabbi would be passing through and someone new would teach. Because anybody sitting in the synagogue, they could get up and read a passage from the scroll. And so they would really get excited when a rabbi would come by and teach. Well, they were about to get really excited, plus these four guys that Jesus had called. He was going to liven up the synagogue a little bit. Verse 21 says, then they went into Capernaum, and immediately on the Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching. Why? Because they would say, Rabbi so-and-so said this, Rabbi so-and-so said that. Jesus says you have heard it was said, but I say to you, I say to you, he taught with authority because he was authoritative. He's God. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Verse 23 Now there was a man in there, in their synagogue with an unclean spirit. Everybody had walked in. Nobody noticed this guy had an unclean spirit. He wasn't acting too badly at at the time, I guess. And he cried saying, let us alone. Notice these plural statements. Let us alone. What have we to do with you, Jesus of Nazareth? Did you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. From the foundations of the world's demons and all their lynchments knew who was over them. And so now, even though he's 33 years of age, they still know who he is. And when the unclean spirit had convulsed him, tore him, and cried out with a loud voice, he came out of him. Then they all were amazed, I'm sure they was, so that they questioned among themselves saying, "What is this? What new doctrine is this? For with authority he commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him." And immediately his fame spread throughout all the region around Galilee. Now, as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, I bet you James and John and the boys, Andrew, they said, man, this is something. I want to hang out with you for a little while. We saw some action. Now, as soon as they had come out of the synagogue, they entered the house of Simon and Andrew with James and John. But Simon's wife, I guess the Catholics, they keep skipping over this part. But Simon's wife, mother, lay sick with a fever and they told him about her at once. You bet they did. After they had seen the authority and the power of this itinerant rabbi, and my mom was laying down with a fever, I said, hey, Jesus, come here. Help me out. So he came and took her by the hand and lifted her up, and immediately the fever left her, and she served them. That's what you do when you understand he's did something for you that no one else could do. You get up and you begin to serve. How much more when we are born again? How much more? I'm reading my word. I'm getting ready because I love the word of God. If I wasn't here teaching, I'd be teaching at home, my family, Bible study, doing something. Because I love his word. That's why he called me. And you know, you can say, oh God, nobody's going to be here. There's only a few people on Sunday. And the Lord speaks to me. He said, you remember when you were in that jail and, and, and 50 or 60 people would come out for a party And you would say, hey, I'm having a Bible study. And five or six people would come. You remember what you told me? And I said, yeah, I remember, Lord. It doesn't matter if no one comes out. If no one is watching You gave me a love for you. You gave me a love for your word. You have given me the gift of teaching. And if anybody wants to hear, I will share it. All glory and honor belongs to you. I'm learning to play and to live my life for an audience of one. And that one means more than 500 people in seat. That one is Jesus Christ. I don't have to have accolades. I don't have to have any of those things because I'm going to hear him say one day. And he always tells me while I'm doing things, he'll speak to me. But I'm going to hear him in that voice one day, hear him say, well done. You did what I called you to do. I think of Jeremiah how he shared his heart, never seen one person converted. But I know you he heard that word, well done, you good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. We need to run this race. Whether anybody else runs with us, we need to run this race. We need to understand who we're serving. Whether anybody else serves with us, we need to run this race. It's about an audience of one. I commend Emily for what she does. My wife always says, oh, Emily, Emily, Emily's faithful. Emily does this. Emily does that. I commend her. And I commend everyone who has a ministry and stick to Because in this life, with everything going out in this glam and glit, glitter world, Church is the last thing people want to go to, especially on a Wednesday night. I'm sharing my heart with you, sharing how I feel, sharing the truth. But that's okay. I heard him tell me, that's okay. Do what I've called you to do. Be faithful to what I've called you to do. I'll take care of everything else. You show your faithfulness. You guys, show your faithfulness. He sets his eyes on faithful people. He promotes faithful people. He blesses faithful people. And that's what it's about. It's about being faithful to Jesus Christ. It's about loving him with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, and loving your neighbor as yourself. Run this race, as Hebrews will tell us. Run this race. He's going to give us grace to do it. Continue to pray for the people that are sick or hurting at Restore. Pray for your brothers and sisters. Pray for these. Uh, Bob Bowman has, has his uh, Zoom uh, Bible study. Pastor Jonathan has his Bible study. Uh, Pray for those people. We live in uncertain times. We need to walk close to the Lord. We need to love our neighbor and walk close to the Lord. Let's pray. Father, I'm so glad that I can call you Father. Abba, Father. Abba. I couldn't do that for 33 years. I couldn't do that. I love to call you father because you are my father. And I'm your son. I'm your child. You go before me and you're my real reward. I don't have to worry about anybody. You've got me covered. Lord, I pray for everyone that's here that you would pour out a blessing on them that they're not able to receive because they could be doing many other things. I pray for those that are online that are watching that you pour them out a blessing, Lord, because TV shows and all those things distract. Satan is good at what he does. But Lord, may we keep our eyes On you, as Hebrews says, the author and the finisher of our faith. May we run this race well. And I ask all of these things through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, to the Father God. Amen.